Well, welcome back to the podcast, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. Dr. Jeff Bucknam is the lead pastor of Teaching and Vision at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicagoland. And uh, we are uh, having a bit of a special edition of the podcast over the past couple of weeks. Um, usually what we would do is we would have a conversation with someone in our church and they would tell their story because we believe that everyone has a story given to them uh, by God. And, uh, but these past few weeks, we've been uh, doing something a little different, special edition, boop, boop, boop. And we have, <laughs> that's the sound I was trying to do. Yeah. You do it better. Yeah, I do. And <laughs> SOS. Yeah. No, well, break, breaking So we news. have a special guest here today. We do have a special guest on today as well, Dr. Kyle Meeker. And um, I'm going to be asking you guys some questions. Because what is Kyle? Kyle, what do you do here? Yeah, Kyle. Harvest? Kyle, would, uh, pastor of leadership and development, and really excited about an apprenticeship program that's starting this fall that I have five people involved with, and it's going to be really cool. You guys just met today, right? Yeah, orientation was today, and so there. What is an apprentice? Uh, it's a, a one Padawan? year. <laughs> it's a Padawan. Padawan. Yeah, yeah, everything doesn't have to go back to Star Wars. I mean, it could though. Uh, maybe, <laughs> especially with Clone Wars, but. Uh, yeah, so it's a nine-month program for people who are out of high school, young adults who are thinking about ministry, thinking about spiritual development, thinking about theological formation, um, and wanting to serve the church for that period, really grow in the faith, um, get that exposure to church ministry. Not necessarily that they have to become you know, pastors or leaders within the church, but hopefully, Lord willing, at the end of it, they love the church more, and they also have a, a solid foundation to continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Awesome. This ad brought to, this podcast <laughs> brought to you by Harvest, Harvest Bible Chapel. <laughs> Bible Chapel so Apprentice this, Program. Yeah. This is and on video too, right? What are we calling them? Apprentices? Apprentices? Are they calling them apprentices? Uh yeah, apprentice. It's an apprentice program. That's kind of we, we steered away from Padawan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Love it. Okay, Excited sorry. for it. Yeah, that's so, great. Yep, I'm looking really? forward to all the coffee it's going to get me. <laughs> yeah, is that right? I'm getting that's what your apprentice like, is doing. Well, wax on, wax off. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> that's a good '80s reference. That is, that is. Um, so usually, what we do before we dive into the conversation, the conversation, by the way, is going to be a little different today. We're going through questions that um, we've had a series over the summer as a church called "Ask Anything." We've asked our congregation to ask us questions about anything, uh, life, faith, the Bible, doctrine, culture, and they did, and we got over well over 100 uh, questions. Really? Yeah. Well over. Well, it's going to take us forever. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did eight. We kind of grouped them together, frequent, most frequently asked ones, and we did sermons on them over the summer from the pulpit, And uh, but we wanted to answer even more, so we decided to make a special edition of the podcast where we're going to answer more questions that you have had. And so, but before we get into that, we usually have a, a little bit of a, a preamble ramble, pre-ramble, where we talk about pre -ramble. whatever it is that we want to talk about. Tommy, what are we talking about today? You know, I, I thought maybe we would ask Kyle, um, you know, what what is the most interesting thing, Kyle, that you have um, read about, experienced, looked at, in the past couple weeks, what's stuck out to you the most? In the news? In the news, oh, in yeah. life. Did you read an article? Did you read a fun article? Is there something that we need to know about, Kyle, that we've missed? What have we missed? Oh, man. In the past um, weeks or months. Now, to, to be fair, we talked yeah. about aliens. 
Yeah, oh, we've covered the big topics, Kyle. Yeah, we've. That's what I was going to say. The we, alien thing mm, is really interesting yeah. to me from a why kind of social cultural kind of aspect can our beginning just be about aliens and we just (laughs) every time time that we talk it's just an alien conversation with new people Uh, (laughs) what do you so what do you think i actually think that well let me tell you what i i enjoy i think i've said before i enjoy a good video game with aliens in it and Mm. movies but they're never good guys i don't like the good guy alien movies like that's a rival yeah rival terrible Wow. Why? I don't need. Listen, I don't need to see that they're friendly. <laughs> you you want we, them to be destructive? Do you remember, it, when I was a kid, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Did you ever see that? I did. Yeah. Okay. When Is I was a they kid, communicate with them through the piano. Do, do, yeah. Yeah. Do, do. Or sound. That, music. So I, I'm watching that, and the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, aliens are going to come out, eat them, or something, mm-hmm. and never happens. Mm-hmm. It's just this one alien who kind of shows up, and then they're all like, "Hey, we can be friends because we can play music together." So you weren't what an ET fan. What a letdown! This ET was disappointing. Yeah, then. E. <laughs> but it did. And they should have the- mixed, mixed ET with Rambo and turned him into <laughs> like just a monster of aliens. I don't know. I, th- I I appreciate ET because it introduced the world to Reese's Pieces. Yeah. Independence mm. Day. Remember that one? Yeah. That you killing the aliens. That's what I like. I like that one a lot. You like fighting back. Oh, yeah. What, what are the other ones? The Edge of Tomorrow. Good movie. About aliens taking over the planet. Oh, yeah. And he right? repeats the like What's Groundhog the, Day. The uh, Quiet Place. Aliens in that one. They're oh, all bad guys. Yeah. They're bad guys. They're all bad guys. Stranger Things. I don't even know if that's aliens. But basically. From a, another dimension. Yeah, listen. Yeah. Whether they come from space or listen, another dimension. We don't need to. We don't, well, it's like the Godzilla movie years ago where they made Godzilla like likable. Yeah, you don't like that. You want well, Godzilla why would you to turn be Godzilla a, into likable. Oh, he's just misunderstood. He's just crushing everyone because he's misunderstood. Stop it. He's not misunderstood. He's, he's a murderous, a giant, yeah. fire-breathing dragon. Yeah, nuclear-powered. Goodness gracious. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I feel like we're learning something no, new about you. No, that's a hot take. Yeah. It's a hot take that all alien movies should be, the aliens should be bad guys. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And if the aliens come here, if we start trying to be nice to them, I'm telling you. We're in for a rude awakening. We are in for a rude awakening. Yeah, we're get, trust them. <laughs> Kyle, you got any hot takes? Um, well, my theological hot take is I don't believe in physical aliens, but I believe that alien activity can oftentimes, sometimes possibly be angelic or demonic activity. Wow. That's my hot take. It, what what evidence do you have for your hot take? Uh, the Bible? No, the, so theologically, just <laughs> Roswell. <laughs> um, if humanity is the, the the apex of creation, then it seems odd that God would make other humanoids elsewhere. So there's also a spiritual realm, which is very real, and our interaction with the spiritual realm and our understanding of it. Um, I think since the age of science and space exploration that has been um, transformed and transmuted, turned into, should we say transmogrified? Some of it is, some of it's just people trying to make a buck. Some of it is uh, people having um, too much Diet Coke, but some of it's dangerous. So where that, where that line is, is, is hard to discern for any specific yeah i think that you might be right about the about the demons but this this buttresses my point Mm. demons aren't good 
<laughs> right? True. So we, like, yeah. we don't need to go and find out how they feel. Yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't try to communicate with them. No. It's usually I, seen I, as I, occult well, activity. When those people are putting together their movies and writing the script is when they think about, oh, we should do this movie and go the... You know, all the other alien movies zig into the direction of, you know, killing them horribly. But we should zag into there are buddies. Yeah. What? Have you, did you see that new one? Nope. No. That's about I, an alien. Nope. You'd like it. Nope. It's a bad alien. Okay. I like and that. And they fight then. against it. Good. Yeah. Done. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. We watched that together, didn't we, Wes? Yeah. We thought it was going to be scary. It wasn't scary. Nope. It was interesting. Though. It wasn't scary. It was interesting. Nope. Wow. So well, Jeff, Jeff likes... <laughs> Only alien movies where they're bad, and I think it should be a rule. Yeah, only okay. We so no more cloud, good aliens. We don't need to cloud the judgment of the people yeah, of so Lilo uh, and Stitch. our nation or the West Western world. Yeah, with nice versions of aliens. Wow, we don't need to. Yeah, they're all demons. Said Kyle Meeker. I quoted him. <laughs> yeah, you quoted him. A doctor. You quoted a doctor. He used a lot of big oh, words dear. like transmogrify and stuff. Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, they're not good guys. They're not good. So, uh, aliens still not a hundred percent certain what they are, but we know that they should be bad. Yes. And opposed and opposed by all means resisted. <laughs> I is, hope that, is this one of the questions? <laughs> no. Do you think all the, all aliens are bad? Yeah. 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 I wish it was. That would have been a fun question, but we're going to answer the questions. What are that the questions? We should, we should get into it. Maybe. Shouldn't we? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to, uh, segue now into the asking and question answering portion of our of our conversation and so we're going to do that right now We're back. Did and we have do we have an ad break? Yeah, we had to have the music play. Oh, cool. You know? Um, and so <laughs> let's ask some questions. All right. Here comes the first one. How should Christians deal with sin after repentance? Does that sin nullify repentance, especially if it's a repeated sin? And are we expected to lead perfect lives after repenting? And if we do not as we inevitably will all fail in that, how should we respond? Yeah, so this is a question, actually. I'll give, uh, the the question is asking something that's basically the Mormon view. Mormons believe that if you sin, uh, and then you repent, right, turn around from it, ask God's forgiveness and move away from it, it counts as long as you don't ever sin in the same way again. But if you sin in the same way again, all the guilt and punishment from the previous sins that you asked for forgiveness was, but uh, forgiveness for, are now laid at your feet again because you did it again and must not have meant the repentance. So unless unless you conquer the besetting sin, all of the all of what happened in the past uh, that you asked for forgiveness for remains upon your shoulders. Hmm. I think that's uh, not at all what the gospel of grace says. Kyle? Um, yeah, First John, um, First John 9. One says, nine. One nine. One nine, yeah. Um, actually, I start in 8, because 8 actually starts really with interesting 
phrase, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That gets in the perfection aspect that if you're a Christian, you're walking in the light, as John will talk about earlier in that chapter, um, you shouldn't be sinning. But if we say we have no sin, if we claim this state of perfection, then actually we're in deception. So we can't be without sin. So what do we do with the sin that happens when we sin? Um, Then in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this idea of forgiveness and cleansing. And so there isn't a recounting. It's not like this gets put in a jar. And then if that sin happens again, that jar gets kind of dumped back on you. As far as the east is from the west. From you, yeah. So John uses sin, if we say without sin as a category or a principle or a a, a power in us, because we're still fallen, even though we're in Christ, we're still in Adam, we're now, even though we're in Adam, we're in Christ, we're already saved, but we're not yet fully saved, so we still have sin, so we shouldn't deny that sin is there, and as we do sin, in those sins and examples, we confess, and he is faithful. So we're not expected to lead a perfect life after we repent. I don't think you can. Um, so then what does and the that, Christian... That's be, but yeah. that's because we live in... There's a whole... I mean, there's a big debate about that among many people who argue about the doctrine of what we're talking about, the sanctification. Remember last mm-hmm. week we defined what sanctification was, basically yep. what the Christian life or the process of becoming set apart or holy. Um, can you ever reach a point in this life where you're sinlessly perfect or you or for an extended period of time you you live a perfect life um so the wesleyans they believed that they believed that there was a point at which that you could reach so john or martin luther uh, john wesley sorry believed there was a point at which you could reach uh perfect love was the language that he had that you could love perfectly in this life and they could reach a level of sanctification that that would do that in fact he had a couple different levels of sanctification you know there's the the lower one and then there's the upper one where you exhibit perfect perfect love um there are others who followed that kind of train of thinking um in order to do this they've got to define sin pretty narrowly though they have to if you push it you end up hearing okay it's only known sin Mm. right because the problem is okay uh, what about sins of omission as opposed to sins of commission? Can I be free of sins of commission? Well, maybe, but sins of omission, meaning I haven't done what I ought to have done. You're right. I've left this love or this action undone, and I I don't I so that so they don't they don't make that argument. They say, well, we're only dealing with sins of commission. Interesting. But I think that when you start parsing that kind of stuff out, I, at the end of the day, you're like, well, why? So what's the argument about that I can be free from sins of commission? I don't even, I don't even think that's the case. Mm. When somebody says, I have friends in the past who've said to me, like, I'm, I'm, I haven't sinned in, in two weeks. And I'm like, until now, <laughs> right. you just lied. Like, you just <laughs> did. Totally. Or you're saying that out of hubris or yeah. you're self-righteous. Yeah. Um, because there's really like two sides of this, right? Is the person who is like, no, I'm, I can be perfect, um, and falls into the self righteousness. But then you have the other side of of the person who's incredibly discouraged. They're like, man, I thought that if I repented of this and turned from it, that I would not have to struggle with it continually. And so you can have significant vic- victory over the sin. The the tenor, 
the tone of the New Testament and the Apostle Paul is one of victory, mm-hmm. that uh, you don't need to keep sinning because that's not who you are. Um, will you continue to keep sinning? Yeah, well, we live between the ages, and so the pull, you know, the pull from the, the age that's passing away is really strong still on us, and we don't completely, you know, buy into the age to come yet. That's why you have these urgings in the scriptures to, you know, to align yourself with the age to come and to think about yourself, you know. Uh, what is it, Colossians 3 says, you know, um, help me. Set your mind on things above. Yeah. And because of our, our Christ we're seated, is seated with Christ. Because we're seated yeah. with Christ. Mm-hmm. So all of those uh, images are used to try to get us to think more about who we are in Christ and who we are in the, you know, in the age to come. But uh, we still live in the present evil age. And we're constantly pulled back into thinking, you know, the way the old, our old man, as they say it, you know, did. So you have these commands in scripture, you know, put, put off the old man, put on the new, even though we're already new. Everybody yeah. would say, well, you're a new creation in Christ. Yeah. So Paul then says, then put on the new. So it, it, there's a command that goes with the position. So, right. and why is there a command? Well, because we tend to not. And we live in between these ages. And so there's this constant pull and tension that we have. Mm. So I would say, uh, are we... Are we forgiven? Yeah, absolutely. Christ, we should keep repenting. Absolutely. When we repent, does you know what happens to Jesus thinking of our sin? As far as the east is from the west, I would even say while we're sinning, we're still positionally in Christ, meaning that God sees us as righteous in Christ even during the sin. His desire and heart is for us to flee from it because it's not who we are. Is this? process going to reach its, you know, can you make significant process as you get older on in your life? Yeah. That's actually, I think what the normal Christian life is, Mm -hmm. but you also have to remember some people, you know, when people, one of the questions I often have is, okay, so why is it that some guy who's been an, uh, Christian for 35 years is more holy and mature than another guy who's been a Christian for 35 years. And, the only satisfying answer I've had is, well, um, oftentimes they don't come from the same moral starting place. So a, a guy who grows up in, or a woman who grows up in a Christian-y family uh, and has many of the moral qualities of Christians without being a Christian and comes to faith in Christ has had all the benefits of what we call the common grace of God in their life, right? And it's been, their life has been largely healthy. Their parents are still together. They've got all of those things. And so let's say they start at a a moral plus two, <laughs> and, then, and then they go to a moral plus seven in later in their lives. Um, whereas if somebody starts uh, basically being in the darkest of dark circumstances, oftentimes they might be progress to a moral plus four, which is so, so in other words, the really kind moral person who's, who uh, grew up in a particular family is at a moral plus three at starting. And the other guy is a moral plus four when they get older. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, there's no major difference, but my thing is, yeah, but there has been a significant difference in growth in their life over the years. They've abandoned lots of different things. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my theory. It's not a well, I think, tried and true truth necessarily. I think C.S. Lewis made a similar observation that you don't know people's starting point. So the, if somebody notches up 
you know, four spots in their basic sanctification. Um, if they start way behind the other person, those four spots may look like they haven't moved much yeah. at the moment, but actually they're making good, good progress. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of Paul's letters, um, he'll talk about like our position in Christ, our identity in Christ. And these are the indicatives, these statements of truths about us. So much of the first half of Ephesians is saying who we are. Um, who we were before Christ, but especially who we are in Christ. And then the latter part of Ephesians is are these imperatives or these commands or these instructions. So because of these true things about our identity in Christ that he spent a lot of the three chapters in the beginning of that letter just reaffirming for them and for us, those things translate to this is then how you live. So you don't you don't live to put yourself into Christ you live out of your position that's already in Christ by grace through faith. Yeah, that's great. And by the what Kyle just said there is really important, though, because uh, another question that comes up in a lot of this is, okay, uh, there, there might be a moral, an outward moral equivalence to somebody who is not a Christian, but who is trying their hardest to please God uh, for self-righteous purposes, to prove that they they belong or that prove that God should accept them. Okay. So kind of the Pharisee, they will look perhaps the same as somebody who is a true biblical Christian in terms of their moral qualities, but the motivation Mm -hmm. for the Christian is a response to grace response to their position in Christ. And the motivation for the Pharisee is an attempt to obtain that position massively different. Yeah. And so the Bible is going to warn you against even righteous self-righteousness being a main a barrier to you coming to faith in Christ. Because if you do grow up in a family that's really good and stuff, a lot of times you people come to church, well, I, I'm already kind of Christian-y. I'm already a Christian. I already do this good stuff. So it's difficult for them to actually, you know, stand at a distance, pound their chest, and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. Uh, and so this is one of the warnings that we get in, in Scripture. It's hard to discern exactly as we look at people. God knows the heart. Um, but people can say, I get, to, um, I get to work. So the Pharisee, the self-righteous person who's trying to earn that position is, might be saying, I get to work because I'm going to get to work and get it done. I'm going to prove myself to God. He therefore has to accept me. Whereas someone who recognizes that, you know, God have mercy on me and I'm, I'm a sinner, recognizes their identity in Christ, they still say, I get to work, but the tone is really different. Instead of I get to work, like I'm going to earn it. What you've given me, right. you've made me a child of the king of the universe. I'm, an, I'm a co-heir with Christ. That's who I am. Me? Co-heir yep. with Jesus? Oh, wow. I get to work now. Yeah. I, get to, I get to live out that reality. Kyle's a big basketball guy. So the kid who stands at the free throw line at the end of the game has got two shots to win it. Uh, can either shoot the ball and make it because he's trying to make sure that everybody in the entire gym and world thinks he's not a bum and he's trying to earn some some standing in their eyes. Or he can shoot the ball because he knows he has the approval of his coach and everybody else already and that whether he makes the shot or not, it's not going to change fundamentally who he is. Yep. Both will be trying to make the shot, right? One one is driven out of fear and the other one is driven out of out of a freedom and a thankfulness. The Christian is driven out of freedom and thankfulness. Mm. It, we still work like crazy. That's 
we work hard, but out of thankfulness to God for his grace. But the Pharisee works really hard because they're trying to get something. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Super helpful in thinking about that. I know it's, it's constantly something that I hear as a pastor, people struggling with that and how they should feel and respond to all of that. Um, next question, how as a body of Christ can we respond to the opportunity to minister to others suffering from the epidemic of, I believe that this word is um, ennui, E-N-N-U-I, I think it means boredom, right? Apathy. How can we, how can we as the body of Christ respond to uh, and minister to those who are suffering from the, from boredom, from boredom or apathy. Yeah. Throw them into a pit with some tigers. <laughs> Don't be bored anymore. Willing. Oh, <gasps> we could call the aliens and say <laughs> oh, no. the good aliens or the bad aliens. Yeah, There's no. only one kind, Kyle. Well, <laughs> so the bad, aliens. <laughs> oh dear. I got all sorts of ideas for yeah. this, right? All sorts of ideas to cure the boredom. <laughs> the <laughs> apathy the over there. <laughs> Climate. <laughs> This is a modern. This yeah, is a modern is issue, very, isn't it? Much, <laughs> like, yeah. but a real one. Yeah, a very, very important much so. one. Yeah, we are the we are the product of our times, and our times is kind of after the industrial revolution. Things got automated, and they're more and more automated. And they even had visions back in the day of you know a three day work week, and we'd have robots to do all of our stuff, and we probably wouldn't have to work anymore, and mm-hmm. we all just be like fine. the Jetsons, like yeah. Wally, yeah, Wally, yeah, and. And what the, pro- the problem, yeah. the problem in the end is it, what it does is it, it, it makes it so that you don't, there's no adventure, there's no purpose, there's no drive because, you know, ask somebody who's trying to do woodworking, the satisfaction that they get after they finish their table or whatever, there's a sense of accomplishment and that I made that. I actually think that's part of the divine <laughs> mandate yep. or the divine, in, you know, God's call on their lives to be a creator. With him, a co, you know, but I, but we don't have that anymore. The most things that we make are in Minecraft, maybe. Wow. Whereas, you know. Modern reference. Although, you know, there are some people who will play video games and they'll feel the same sense of, uh, uh, you know, when they beat the final boss yeah, or whatever like that. And that's, that's fine. But this is really where we've ended up, though, is that a lot of our adventure is found in the digital, in the digital world. And it's usually meaningless. Yeah, our purpose from creation from the garden was to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion of, over the world. So God gave us a task as we image him. And part of that task is to be productive and to be in the world and doing things with the world to make it more productive. So there's this there's this work and work. I guess work is a four-letter word, but it, <laughs> it, became a, it becomes a four-letter word to us in our expression because we don't like it because of Genesis three, mm. but Genesis one and two works a really good thing. It actually helps us oh, the feel sweat satisfied, of your brow, you will, you yeah. but it becomes cursed. And so we, we work under the curse, which makes us not like it. And now as Jeff was talking, we, we, because of the luxuries of the modern world, we don't have that direct satisfaction often with our work, um, which pushes us into, you know, the digital world which then sucks the soul out of us. It makes us like, well, what's the point? Well, the point is we, we've, we've divorced ourselves from the basic purpose of not just work, but working under God's yeah. provision. Yeah. 
So it, this, I mean, we can state the problem over and over again, but what Kyle just said, I think is a significant part of the solution is to re, re realize why God made people and what our, our particular tasks are in this, in this world. We are actually made to be creators of some kind or nurturers or something along those lines. We're created to, you know, for good works, <laughs> to use the language of uh, Ephesians 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the end, <clears throat> Christian boredom it, it is kind of a, yeah, a little bit of a crazy thought. I, okay, so the parable of the talents, these guys, you know, they, this guy goes away, the landowner, hey, three different slaves, he's going to give one, a certain amount of money to each one, five million, two million, one million. Uh, he goes away, and I, I'm just going to tell you, the one, the one guy in that, okay, who, who is bored is the one talent guy. The, the five and the two aren't bored because they are creatively trying to double the master's money. Mm-hmm. But the one talent guy uses actually the, what he perceives as the harshness of the master to justify his boredom. And I'm, I'm just telling you that, you know, when he hides stuff in his backyard, uh, you know, he cast, the, the master comes home and he casts him out. So, so that's, a, that's a kind of a threat, Yep. in some regards, to some Christian who would end up saying, well, I've been given all these gifts and all this stuff and a call to, you know, the mandate and to to create and to use my gifts and to do all these things, but you're like, meh, i just sitting here with them. I would start asking questions about, first, do you really understand why you're here or who you are or that in Christ or whatever, but at the end, I, I, it's, I, I wouldn't give, I would only warn you about what's to come. From God, mm. not a well-done faithful servant. That's what the five and two get. The double money doublers, by the guy who's burying stuff. One, so it gets get out of here. Yeah, don't want to be that guy. No, preferably. So here's the thing, Kyle. Do you think lazy Christians are Christians? All those who are in Christ are Christians by definition. Yeah. Um, and we all struggle with different things and there's an ebb and flow. And if you look at one small slice of someone's life, similar to the first question, you know, things might not look good in this small slice. Right. So one of the things that can be helpful is to not think of the last week or month, but to think about more broadly about yeah. a, the, a lifetime and the progress you've made, the things you've learned, and then try to move forward. So if I'm, a, but if I'm a person who's, who's like, I, I want, uh, I, I don't, you know, I just want to hunker down. Uh, I know the world might be on fire. It might be needing, have needs and I know I have gifts and all that kind of stuff, but I just can't be bothered. Yeah. It's like the, I I've got my Bible and I love Jesus and that's all I need. That's all I need. I just need to, you'd warn them. Would you sit yeah, in my room? In, in what ways is this loving God by loving others? So if you, if you, disconnect yourself from others completely then how are you actually manifesting the spirit in you right so i'm not suggesting that they're not a christian i'm just raising questions on what as a pastor what would i ask them and i don't know if if they came to me and said to me i'm just so bored and stuff can you just affirm my christian my my, you know my commitment to christ and stuff i'd be like well i'd what about the parable of talents at the last guy? I mean, if you're just burying this stuff, I don't know if I don't know if it's a good sign about the faith you claim to have. 
good. But there's definitely a malaise, it seems, and not just because I'm getting older. <laughs> I used to make fun <laughs> of people that used to be like, well, back in my day. Yeah, back. And then I became that person. Yeah. Back now, in my, but yeah, just thinking end, about the last. Consider its ways and be wise. <laughs> um, you know, the past five years or so with all the upheaval culturally, <laughs> globally. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, it's, yep. it's, it's caused people to, to pause. Tap out. Tap out. Yeah. And so reevaluate and maybe not after the reevaluation kind of land the plane and or take the plane off. I don't know where I'm going with that analogy, but get, get going. Yeah. Um, because it's like, well, what's the point? And so this, this actually is a great opportunity to think about purpose. You know, what are we here for, um, generally as people, but what are we here for specifically as an individual Christian who has these relationships, these opportunities, this place in life in Paul sermon, Acts 17, he says, it's, you know, God appointed the times and the place for people to be. So it's no accident that we are here in North America, uh, 2023, post COVID, God appoint put us here. So there's there's comfort in that because God's good, um, and there's also encouragement that to figure out okay now what can I do to help those uh, around me. Yeah, you know the COVID things. I, what's it's crazy what's happened to the church after COVID though. I mean the amount of tapping out that took place during COVID not just with life, but like the, the important institutions and stuff in life, like, like the church, like being involved in about the body of Christ, the amount of Christians that tapped out during COVID is really frightening. Mm -hmm. Like we'll look back in history and uh, the numbers will bear out that it was one of the massive shifts in the United States and it's Canada too. I mean, I, it would be, it's going to be one of the massive shifts in the Western world regarding uh, religion and church attendance in particular, because I, I, it's like 60% of the people came back from COVID. And that's not because people are still scared of crowds. It's because they got used to not going and they hunkered down in their houses for so long. And it, it, it is exacerbated, made worse. This, this problem of like, Hey, I'm just going to live digitally and I'm going to just do my own thing. And it's just easier. Everything's just easier. Yeah. I don't want to get up at seven o'clock or nine o'clock on a Sunday and go to church. Go deal with other people. People other are people. hard. Do you know what I mean? But that's <laughs> yeah. right. Deal yeah. with other people and people are hard. And that's the point at which I'm like, right. Okay. Like I understand people are hard. Believe me, I'm uh, of all people. I understand people are hard and uh, anxiety comes from all of that. But I got to tell you I, to, to ignore who God made you to be and the community in which he's placed you also, you can sit at home in your jammies and eat French toast and just consume somewhat the work somebody does on, on the internet. I, I don't know. I just, I don't think that that is, an, it is a sustainable Christian activity. That's not the abundant life that Christ was. <laughs> French toast. <laughs> I don't know. I just. Yeah. Does it have powdered sugar? Yeah. Because <laughs> then maybe the abundant life. Yeah. What frightens me is yeah. actually that, sorry, I'm, we're going on a little bit of rabbit trail. Yeah, here, rabbit like, trail. Like, what frightens me, though, is that there are so, what was the, what was the Christianity that they, people had prior to COVID that made it so easy to give up after? Mm. Like, it, was it just not that significant, the gathering of God's people? Did it not really, it was just sort of a box that we ticked and we realized, oh, you don't need to tick the box that we used to do in that way. You know, you can go to church once every four months or whatever, you're fine. Mm -hmm. Or not go at all. You know, it's me and Jesus. 
with our music and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Like that was something that happened prior to COVID, but it, not like now. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It frightens me. It really does. frightens me for the church because like the, the gathering of the church is what God ordained for Christian people to do. Yeah. Do you think that there's a lot of insight? I know that we've completely gone off the rails maybe on this question. <laughs> that's okay. But do you think that there are people who think, um, you know, have been deceived about what the church is and who they are in the church and just have gotten massively ecclesiologically messed up over the past five years? How from, important from is maybe, the gathering of the from, local church, Co. Yeah, it's vital. And um, C.S. Lewis wrote Do you say that because you're a pastor, though? No. <laughs> um, objectively, it's vital. It's the body of Christ. It's how we grow and know God. Um, and we do that within communities. The relationships are so important, even when they're hard. Um, Lewis wrote an essay uh, called The Poison of Subjectivism, and he saw what we're experiencing is in some ways, I think the fruit of this subjective emphasis where we're individuals and we like our individuality and that's a gift from God. But when individuality turns into individualism, uh, turns into subjectivism, then everything revolves around what I think is going to make me feel better, be better, uh, be a better person. So if we translate church attendance into a subjective kind of worldview, then church is here to serve me. What can you give me as the church? What can you provide me? And if I get that, I'm good. But if church isn't just about what you can provide me, but church is about who I am in Christ among other Christians and how we iron can sharpen iron and we can encourage one another, that's that's not something that maybe people signed up for and therefore they're not coming back to the church after after COVID. They thought church was about me, whereas well, it's, transactional. it's actually you, you, about... It was a transaction. I, I I need certain input. I need certain fuel to use an image. I got to get my gas somewhere. Uh, church gave it to me, but COVID taught me that I can get gas, you know, online, online, through digitally, and also through better through better teachers and better music and better whatever. I can cobble together my own little gas station, get it shipped to my door, like everything else, right? I get I you know Amazon can deliver it for me, yeah. and so in the end we. They people have bought into that, or they haven't bought in at all because they're like, you know what? I don't. Maybe I don't need that much gas. Maybe all this time I thought I needed this gas, but my life is not. You know, I'm I'm not missing church at all. I I love having my Sunday mornings now. I love having the time off now and things like that. And I man, I tell you, I'm just it scares the living daylights out of me because I, as a pastor, who's responsible for the souls of people, I'm like, okay, so you severed yourself from God's ordained means to keep you in the faith now. And you're like, yep, I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to drift off the back of this Peloton in the hardest hills ever. But I, don't worry about me. I'll, I'll be good. I like it back here. Yeah. What? I just, I, I'm not saying you won't. But I have big questions whether or not you're able to. Yeah. Dead air. There we go. Yeah. That was such a profound thing to say that you kind of just sat there in yeah. awe of it. Well, you the brought, words you just brought sort of cycling sat in the into room it. Yeah, it, that image of the so peloton cycling, and falling off the back. I was like, like wow, cycling in a line. That's a peloton, not the little bike the that you. Well, that's also, but it's named peloton. after the okay. the group. I, I had a, I had the wrong mental. You can image learn a ton a about life from cycling. Yeah, right. Stick with the peloton. 
Yeah. Right. Always have friends around you. You're always able to go the, the right speed. Yeah. Right. If you in the professional ranks, if you fall behind, they always send one of their teammates back to drag you forward. You're like, yeah. well, they can't touch me. How are they dragging me for? Really yeah. create that you draft them and you're able to drag back up to the end of the <laughs> is amazing. Lots and lots of preachers love this kind of stuff. They're yeah. like, whoa, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need a special power. To keep you going fast and keeping up, you know, the Holy Spirit for the Christian, maybe a little Lance Armstrong for other people, you know, who knows? Oh, dear. (laughs) All right, let's get back. Wow. (laughs) Whoa. All right. Uh, We got one more in us? We got a couple, I think. Okay, hit me. We got. All right, here we go. Um, Is God's saving grace such an amazing thing? This is a longer one. Uh, When I do hear preachers say that it... Uh, that if it wasn't for the grace of God through Christ, we would be deserving of hell. I.e., if all are born into sin and darkened in our understanding until God's spiritual blessing, is it fair to say that we are deserving of hell? It's like throwing an infant into a swimming pool. Wouldn't it obviously require intervention from a lifeguard? Um, I am deeply thankful that our God is a good God, but I find it difficult to be blown away whenever his amazing saving grace is mentioned. So the question is partly about um, the gut reaction to amazing grace. The song is amazing. It says amazing, but doesn't always feel amazing. Is that kind of the part of the question? I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the, in the illustration, like an infant thrown into a swimming pool, wouldn't it obviously require intervention? So how could you call the saving grace so great? Mm -hmm if it is obviously required, maybe, maybe yeah. that's in the question. Well, the person who, who, who's experienced something massive in their life where they've walked away from Christ or, you know, lived in a family that didn't know Christ or, uh, they're going to, they're going to appreciate the saving grace of God because they've, they've experienced the dark side of sin and shame and all those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, the person who is born kind of into the church and all all of that oftentimes doesn't feel that and often answers, like this question has been asked to me before, similar, by somebody who grew up in the church, right? Like I don't see the, you know, yeah, I, I was born in sin, I guess, but it's not that big a, do you know what I mean? I wasn't really cognizant of it and I, I eventually, you know, I just don't, I haven't seen my life be transformed like these sorts of things. And so I'm, it doesn't, it doesn't ring quite as clearly to you. If, if you've had that experience, when I say, man, isn't God's grace amazing. You're like, man, so, so you kind of try to convince yourself that you're wor- you're like a worthless sinner so that you can, you know, feel like the other person. <laughs> and I, look, I understand, I do understand the question and how somebody can feel, feel that particular way. Um, there are some theological things that I want want to say that uh, you know we're born in Adam and Adam's sin is is attributed to us because we're born in Adam. He's what we call our federal head. So just as Christ's righteousness is given to us because he's our captain of our team, right? And he wins the thing. And so think about David and Goliath this is a good example. David goes out and he wins the victory for the people, and so the people win. Right, so that's what it means to be a federal head. He he wins it, therefore all all of them win it. Uh, similarly, Goliath lost it, 
And because Goliath lost it, all of the Philistines lost. Okay? So the the as our federal head, Adam was Goliath. He lost. And so we all lost in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a theological statement about sin and how it is that people are born in sin, but it doesn't talk about the experience. When most people talk about sin, they're talking about the experience of, of, of sin and rebellion against God. And, and a lot of people just don't remember that if you grew up in the church, you don't remember a time where you were like massively rebellious against God. And you feel like you almost have to produce one. Um, how do you, Kyle, get somebody who was born in the church then, uh, knows the doctrines, how do you get them to appreciate the grace of God and see it as amazing? Or should you just not worry about that? Yeah, I think there's two things to keep in mind or two things to have in mind. One is the depth of our sin and our need um, and whether or not we grow up in the church and have lived a really clean life, there's still rebellion in us and sometimes the most subtle types of rebellion and sin against God in us in those kinds of situations. So you don't need to be someone who has this amazing, you know, life-changing testimony necessarily to, to realize that you're in desperate need. So the more we recognize our need and the more we can compare that to God's holiness and his beauty and his righteousness and see that that is not just, oh, a couple notches separate. It's not that big of a difference. The more we can see that that is a huge difference and even though the more we know about God's holiness and his beauty and his majesty, and the more we realize our, our, our need for it, and the, the bigger that that goes, the more we realize the cross actually yeah. connects those and allows us with the need to be in relationship with God and his holiness. I think that there, in this question, too, there's this, a sense of like the, um, because it's necessary, because we've all been born into sin, our hearts have been darkened, we're deserving of hell. Um, because God's grace is necessary, how could we call it amazing? When you say it's necessary, yeah, uh, I, I would say that God's grace is exhibited toward his people that way. So when you say necessary, necessary for his people, yeah, but he doesn't have to give it. So in that sense, is, is it, well, maybe that's the wrong word. Is God's grace necessary? Uh, it wasn't to Pharaoh. Right. Uh, so, but he gave it to Moses. Yeah. So would you say it's necessary to Moses or sorry, no, necessary to the people of Israel when they sin against God with a golden calf? Is it necessary? Uh, well, God's trying to redo the whole thing with Moses. So it's not necessary for him to do that. And yet he did it and he didn't do it with Pharaoh. Yeah. So. I, for me, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know if I'd call God's grace necessary in a general sense. Is it necessary for people to be saved? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But again, he, I don't think God is obligated to, 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 to grant that grace to everybody. He clearly doesn't. Yep. Because Pharaoh existed. I can yeah. I just follow up on something Kyle, yeah, please. Kyle yeah, said sorry. really quickly though. I like I, the way I would want to get somebody to to really you know adore Christ is not necessarily to look into the depths of your own depravity, even though, because I think you'll experience that anyway, and try to convince yourself that you're trash. <laughs> I actually think it's it's the other direction, to look at the majesty of Christ. And I think the more you look at the majesty of Christ, 
the more you study his word, the more you soak your mind into how grand and holy and wonderful he is, the more that gap that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Kyle, grows. And uh, I think some people try to go the other way and be like, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, right? I need to convince myself that I'm a dirty, rotten, whatever. And I'm like, that's not good. I'm 51. It's once you're 51, you know know quite well (laughs) that you're not all that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the focus, I think, ultimately should be on the glory of Christ. And so if you, I want you to know that grace is amazing. I'm actually going to try to teach you about who God is. Yeah. And ultimately, I just think it'll become obvious that you're not him. Yeah. And that he didn't, I mean, he didn't need to choose you, yeah. but he did. So in that sense, that's where I'm playing with the necessary language. Yeah. No, I think that's really great. I think that that, that is a, a key point is in, in going that way of seeing the majesty of Christ. Uh, Cause it shows the, it shows the gap. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to just have a white castle slider, you'd be like, okay, that was, that was all right. That wasn't too bad. Right. No, that was, I would throw up. Yeah. <laughs> You say that, but if it was the only burger type mm-hmm. you've ever had, you'd be like, okay, this is what a burger is. Can it's I have all ketchup right. on it? <laughs> anyway, yeah, Lots White Castle slider, we get it. But then, yeah. you know, you go and you get, you know, something from Oshaval or Small yeah. Cheval in the city. Or the Baconator. Or the Baconator, even. <laughs> and you're like, wow, the difference between those. <laughs> I've had this greater thing, and the greater thing actually informs how bad the yes, bad thing is. It so does. Jesus is the Baconator? Wow. He is the spiritual wow. well, Baconator. You heard it here at the uh, conversation with like Jeff Buckner podcast. <laughs> resignation now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Food illustrations are so fun. Yeah. Um, all right, we uh, we've got a couple more. We should do uh, rapid fire. Rapid fire. All right, hit me. Hit Kyle. Hit Kyle first. Um, is there anything in the Bible that would lead us to believe that we will see our pets in heaven? Rapid fire. Um, not explicitly, but. Heaven will have everything we ever could dream and imagine because God will be there and we'll be with him and all that we need is provided. I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that that, that says no. How's that? And I also think that pets have souls. What? Oh, okay. What's the, be- <laughs> what's the best and fastest response? Uh, because they're not listening for too long. Their words, not mine. Uh, to a young adult who says the Bible doesn't apply today because it was written too long ago. I wrote. I, I preached a sermon last weekend in Aurora about that. So go listen to it. Yeah, Harvest there's Bible a whole bunch of people chapel. who preached sermons this last week to talk about a talk to talk about that. This buys into, by the way, the mentality that we're that we've been on this ever climbing, you know, morally evolving uh, upward up and to the right. <laughs> yep. Uh, plan for years, and I don't buy that at all. I actually think that the idea that we couldn't learn something from from people that long ago is is silly. It's absolutely, I mean, absolutely silly. But I I still understand the question that well, how, you know, these people didn't know much at all. They didn't know how to you know pasteurize their milk, yeah, and stuff. Why should we listen to them about these things? And my answer to that question is because God spoke through them. That the Bible is God breathed. Yeah. And it's his very words. Yep. And the issues obviously have different names, but at the core, uh, p- they remain his- the same. Yeah. History doesn't change yeah. that much. Um, the Bible tells us to fear God. Please define what we as Christians, sorry, please define what we as, what that feels and looks like. There we go. Kyle. Um, 
it's a deep reverence and awe and trembling, I think, before God because of the holiness of God. We recognize the more we see him and understand him, the more we see his holiness and his his transcendence and his otherness. And that shakes us to the core and we because we realize that we don't come any close anywhere close to me- measuring up. Um, so it's that recognition, I think, of God's amazing, majestic holiness. Have you ever seen the videos of the ships that are caught in the midst of the massive storms and they kind of go up and then back down into the sea and then or the or the deadliest catch? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, it should feel like you're on that ship. Uh, that when you're talking to the holy God, there there is a power there, uh, and even a little bit of a danger that if He's not for me, I'm in trouble. That this is a very this is I'm not to be trifled with. Mm. I I think Christians don't feel that because we don't really emphasize the transcendence of God in most of our stuff these days. It's all about imminence, all about his nearness, and he sticks closer in a brother, and Jesus is our buddy, and all that kind of stuff. So we, in the modern church, have pushed way, way over on the imminent side of these things. So most Christians don't ever feel that toward God. And I think, actually, it creates all sorts of theological problems for us. We end up asking questions on, like, how could God judge sin? Or why? How could God send anybody to hell? You're like, well, (laughs) if you understood the holiness and and transcendence of God, you probably wouldn't ask that question. You might ask the question, how could God send anybody to heaven? Yeah. The Lord's Prayer brings together his his eminence, which is wonderful, as well as his transcendence, because our Father, Father Closeness, um, care, hallowed be thy name, he, yeah. who's holy. So he's near because he's a father, but he's also holy. Yeah, who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's great. What happens to a believer's soul if they die today? Are they in heaven? Intermediate state. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All but right. they don't stay there. That's right. They don't stay there. The final destination of every Christian who's ever lived is the new heavens and new earth, the resurrected body. That was a very, this is a very long, awkward pause. Yeah, sorry. I was, I was, just read, tr- this you, is a long question. I'm trying to, are you reading tweets it. now? Yeah, yeah, I've completely, I've <laughs> abandoned this. I, uh, what was that question about boredom? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so this question is about physical healing and the role that it takes place in the, in the church in our day and age. Um, God can certainly do miracles via healing, certainly. But what is our role in the laying on of hands, anointing via oil? Is this a gift that still exists today? If so, how? Yeah. Well, you say gift. I, I, I want to play around with that a little bit. Uh, I, I think there are gifts. That's the language in First Corinthians, gifts of healing. And gifts of healing means that I think it's an intermittent thing. So I have no reason to believe that it's not around today. I think the Lord grants gifts of healing on certain occasions. We are supposed to pray for those who uh, need healing. In fact, you know, James says, gather the elders together, have them pray for the folks. It seems like it's God's divine, you know, his divinely orchestrated hospital approach. Uh, He is going to be the one who heals if he wills or not, but our responsibility is to follow his commands and to ask, and the Lord will give a gift of healing in many, many of those occasions. I actually think we should be, I mean, I've advocated for a while here that it would be great if the elders of our church provided a space 
for that to happen. Yeah. You know, elder meetings or something like that prior to the elder meetings where you can come in and get prayed for. You, so you come to the elders and, and they anoint you with oil. And the oil is just a symbol of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit to setting you aside to, I don't think there's anything like magic about it. Yeah. Amazing. Last one. Rapid fire. How do you actually... Is there a rapture? Kyle. <laughs> Rapid fire. Is there a rapture, Kyle? I would be caught up with the Lord. <laughs> That's what I answer. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Skip. How do you actually practice... Uh, how do you actually practically walk with God on a daily basis? What does it look and feel like? I think the common elements of spiritual growth, Bible, prayer, and community and the community being the church. So then how you live in light of that. I mean, we're at our jobs, we're at home, we're doing different things at the park. Um, so we recognize our identity in Christ. Um, we're thinking about who God is, who we are around other people, uh, and trying to be faithful in those, in those arenas. Anything to add? I do. I, I mean, I use an image for this lots of time because I'm playing with that idea of be, we live between the ages, right? Essentially what's happened to us is we have a new citizenship, We've moved from one kingdom to the other, right? Kingdom of darkness to God's to kingdom of God's dear son. And we still have the old our old master yelling at us and telling us to come back this way and the pull of the moder- the world pulling us back into the you know, to valuing the things that they value. It's very much like changing your mind about your allegiance. I'm I'm going to go from having an allegiance with this team or this country to this new team, this new country. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, okay, uh, you got to, so let's use the country language. You got to go native. And by that, I mean, like, when I moved to New Zealand, we didn't know a lot of people who weren't Kiwis. We knew some, some Americans and stuff, but most of them weren't Kiwis or were Kiwis. And so how do you become a Kiwi? Well, you hang out with people who are Kiwis. Uh, you read the Kiwi stuff. You... Uh, try to think and understand the world like a Kiwi. You ask questions a lot on why it is that they say one thing or another. Try to understand the rationale behind it instead of going, well, it's stupid. Like you have to kind of form your whole mind. You have to renew your mind as a Kiwi in order to do that and fully understand the, the New Zealand kind of worldview and the way that they approach things. I just say that that's exactly what you do with the kingdom of God. You got to know people in the kingdom of God. You got to spend time hearing the stories about the people, the things going on in the kingdom of God. You got to reorient your mind around the values of the kingdom of God. You have to ask lots of questions about uh, why is it that we in the kingdom of God do this and not that. Yeah, I mean, tons of things. Why? Why should we act this different way than I used to act? Like I see that that's a different approach here. We grill sausages on a barbie instead of whatever. Uh, hot dogs on a on a grill. What my point? I hope the image works. Yeah, for it does. you, you you've, you've become a new citizen of another thing, and you need to embrace that citizenship. And the more you embrace that citizenship, and the more you live out as the that identity of a child. I, I am a son of the king, and I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, primarily above all other things. I, I think that you'll find that the more you'll grow and grow in Christ. That's great. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for answering the questions. And uh, I don't know if we have any more of these, but we might sprinkle no, them in into the, the regular. This is the end of it. All the questions have been answered. We've answered all the questions. <laughs> Hope you're satisfied. Okay. I do uh, have one last question. Okay. Kyle, is there a rapture? <laughs> 
next time. Okay, on next for time. those of you yeah, conversations yeah. with Jeff Bugnum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you just said it, so you have to come back next time. That's going to be that's going to be our uh, our preamble for I the next. I can't wait for people asking him this question when they see him. Yeah. Oh, why didn't you answer that question? I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Jesus for it. returns. We join him. Yes. Amen. 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 And amen. Thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for your questions over uh, the uh, past couple months. And uh, hope that was helpful. Back to regular scheduled programming. Back to the the regular scheduled podcast. We might sprinkle in some questions every now and then. We'll see. As the spirit leads, thanks for joining us. See you soon. Bye.